You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Well, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. We're in a teaching series uh, called Journey, and uh, would love for you to journey with us as we move through this. So the, kind of the theme of this series is journey. It's a, it's, the Christian life is not a destination, it's a journey. It's a, something that we get to go through, and the journey never ends. So it's good news for us. Uh, today, the topic that I'm going to be dealing with is uh, help from the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at uh, those of you who perhaps come from a a more charismatic background, AG, uh, uh, that's code language for those that really know it, AG means Assemblies of God, Pentecostal or Foursquare. How many of you are familiar with those denominations or groupings? Would you raise your hand for me? Some of you are quiet, scared charismatics. You don't want to tell anybody. Um, Those groups tend to emphasize the Holy Spirit quite a bit. Um, they tend to kind of uh, focus a lot uh, where I would defer from a lot of those teachings that you'll find out of the Assemblies of God, the Pentecostal, or the Foursquare. They'll say things like the, the spiritual gift of tongues is a sign of salvation and that uh, you need that in order to be saved. And that's where I'd say I don't think so at all. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and how He works in our life. Um, I'll look at a number of other passages because the Scripture is just filled with it, so that'll be really good for us. But you need to know today, you're going to get help from the Holy Spirit uh, today. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. Help me out, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Boom, you got it. So what that means is, is the Holy Spirit is actually a Holy Spirit. He's not an it. He's not a force. He is a person. And he's the one, by the way, he's the one that's the most active involved in your life. He's the one that right now is helping you to understand and connect with and look at Scripture and learn from, and he's the one who will help us on this journey. Jesus is going to introduce that. He's going to talk to his followers. He's already done some teaching on the Spirit of God. Now he's going to really help them understand more about the Spirit of God, and it's so important. Um, I remember I had an old country friend who said this. He said, Ryan, if you just get the Word of God in your life and that's it, you're going to dry up okay? You're going to dry up like a crusty old sucker if all you get is the Word of God and that's it. If you get the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God, you're going to blow up. You're going to blow up. You're going to blow up like crazy charismatic. But if you get the Word of God, the Spirit of God, you're going to grow up, son. Isn't that good? Get the Spirit of God, get the Word of God, you're going to grow up. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, my encounter with Christianity was definitely a supernatural encounter with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your friend. He loves you. He cares for you. His words and counsel are far more than anybody else could offer. He works in you, and he wants to work through you. This is the good news, and Jesus is going to share with us that, and we're going to jump right in. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Stand up. I'm going to just make sure you're with me, and then I'm going to read this aloud, 
and then I'm going to walk through the context, and then I'm going to turn around and do some teaching, practical teaching on the Holy Spirit. It says, uh, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up, cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we pray for your word today to speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Um, so, John, we've been in the Gospel of John for like 40 weeks. We've gone through multiple series to kind of teach through themes and sections of it. I hope that you're enjoying it. It's a really big blessing. There are some mega themes that repeat themselves. There are some things that uh, present themselves. And so, um, how many of you guys remember the old thing uh, at school, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Let's try that. How, many, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Uh, there's a play on words that gets that thing in your mind. And what you're going to see over the next uh, several weeks is there's some mega themes that are going to be developing. And Jesus is trying to show us uh, a repetitive pattern of getting people to believe in him and understand who he is to receive him. And so for the next few weeks, as you see this in my teaching, you're going to be like, dude, he's repeating himself. Uh, Jesus repeats himself a lot. And so we're going to look at some of this section. I want to paint the picture, though, for you. The scene that I am just uh, read to you, it takes place in the first century. It's in Jerusalem. Jesus is there. Some of you are like, yeah, you've told me. I know this is the woodchuck, chuck kind of thing. I've got to remind you of where we're at. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's a week-long celebration of God's deliverance, God's provision. It's a, a reminder to the people. It was one of the biggest. It was one of the best festivals on the Jewish calendar. Uh, it was a time to give thanks. It was a time to look back and remember what God had done through Moses and how he had used Moses to deliver uh, the people, the Israelites from, the, uh, e from e the evils of Egypt. And it was a time also to look forward about how the Messiah would come and bring a, 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 a living streams of water. So there was a looking back and a looking forward. It was a time to remember the supernatural provision for their lives, remember how God had provided food and water for the uh, nation of Israel, some three to four million people in this historic event in history called the Exodus. Uh, when Moses leads the people out, well, guess who shows up supernaturally to provide food and water? God does. He provides food and water for them, and so they would look back, they would remember, and again, they would look forward and remember how uh, the Messiah would come, and it says in the Scripture, it says that in the, in the middle of the feast, Jesus had showed up, but today that we read is verse 37. I'll read it. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. The Bible says it's the last day. This huge festival looking back, looking forward. It's the last day. Listen, it's not the least day though. It's not the least important. Actually, it was probably the most important. Uh, 
this will go down, I would think, in history as the most important day ever in these festivals, this day. Jesus stands, it says, most teachers would sit. They would do it very uh, uh, Plato-ish, like very uh, uh, Socrates-like, sit and ask questions, very calm, very quiet. Jesus stands, he's not quiet, he projects, he's preaching, he's loud. People are like, what is this guy? Who is this guy? Jesus stands up, he cries out. The Bible says uh, this, he, he doesn't whisper, he shouts, uh, he cries out. It would be scream or to shout. And then there's something special going on. What's going on is that I believe that this is taking place when Jesus steps onto the scene in verse 37 that we see it. Something incredible ceremonial was happening. It was one of the ceremonies that happened every single day during this festival. And it was this, the high priest, uh, he would grab a, a golden pitcher of, uh, uh, and then take it out, walk outside of the temple, dip it into this pool, uh, and then he would bring it in, and then he would pour it on the altar, and they would be singing this song out of Isaiah, and it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for all he has done, let him be known throughout the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. What were they doing? When the high priest would do that ceremony, it was a foreshadowing of what Zechariah had talked about. There would be a Messiah that would bring like living water. Like it would be powerful for the believers to experience the presence and the power of the Messiah. So guess what? Right when that priest is pouring out the water, I think Jesus comes straight to the scene in that moment. While the guy's pouring out water, Jesus stands up. People are like thinking a couple of things, right? Some of them are thinking, oh, he's gonna talk about how like Moses hit the rock and struck water out and water started gushing out and provided water for all the Israelites. Others were thinking, no, 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 no. Maybe he's going to talk about Zechariah and how Zechariah said that there's going to be a Messiah who's going to be this living water because that was kind of the thing that they would do. They'd pour this water out, remembering how God provided food and water. And then others were thinking about Zechariah and how Zechariah was foretold that the Messiah would bring this living water to people. And then others... I think there were others there that were believers in Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us that. They thought, this is it. This, this is the moment. Jesus is again stepping into divine prophetic fulfillment. He's going to say he's the living water. And so that's exactly what happens. Look at the verse 37. Jesus says, in a crowd of people watching the ceremony, verse 37 if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is Jesus doing? He's giving an invitation that he is the Messiah. He's saying, if anyone comes to me, and he says anyone, that means the moralist, that means the religious, that means um, the, the folks that were down and out, all of them can come to him. That's the invitation that Jesus Christ was giving. And I think, listen, I think Jesus was giving these kinds of invitations all the time in his ministry. 
He's always teaching and he's always inviting people to come into faith and trust in him. Jesus stands up, he cries out. Let's go to the next slide. And it says, uh, verse, ver let me read it again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let me, let me get that. I don't know if we have that slide. Let's try to go to it. There we go. On the last day of the feast, the great teeth, Jesus stood up, cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's an invitation. He's inviting folks. This would have uh, caught the attention of just about everybody right there. He's the, he's the living water. Jesus says anyone who wants to do this can come, and he offers that for all of us. Verse 38 says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is a very powerful statement right here. Jesus is, uh, he had already talked about water and the spirit of God. You perhaps recall in uh, John chapter four when Jesus met the woman at the well and he talked to her and he said to her, hey, if you're thirsty, I got something that will quench your thirst forever. And basically all who believe in me, he says, in your life or in your heart will spring up a well of living water. Here he says something different. Whoever believes in me, Jesus is front and center. Everybody's like, what is he talking about? Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, what's the scripture? What's he talking about? Probably the Psalms, probably Zechariah. I don't know the exact passages. Nobody tells us. But he says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What does this mean? This means for every Christian out there that believes in Jesus Christ, that their life is supposed to be like a river. That you're supposed to let God's blessings, his provisions, all his goodness, all his kindness, all his love to flow in them, but then to flow through them. See, there's a big difference between a river and a reservoir. Uh, Lake Mead is one of the biggest uh, reservoirs around. It's uh, formed because Hoover Dam blocks the Colorado River. It's the largest reservoir in the U.S. It provides a ton of water for Arizona, California, Nevada, and northern New Mexico. And I love Lake Mead. I'm excited to go. I want to go before it dries up, if it does dry up. I got invited to go, and I'm looking forward to it. But I find far more powerful than even Lake Mead is the Colorado. Um, the Colorado... It produces enough water to double the amount of people that it provides water for. Lake Mead provides about 20 million people with uh, provisions for water. The Colorado as a whole, it's one of the largest rivers in the southwest. It starts in the Rocky Mountains. It's 1,450 miles. Uh, it goes through the Grand Canyon right before it reaches Lake Mead, and it serves about 40 million people. Here's my point. My point is is that Jesus Christ has called you to be like a river, not a reservoir. You're supposed to have a river of life flowing in you and through you. Every time you find encouragement, hope, or blessing, every time you find some way of God's provision over your life, he doesn't want you to simply receive that. He wants you to receive that and then give that. You're not supposed to damn it up and take it all in just for you and say, look how God has blessed me. This was the problem with the nation of Israel, by the way. They received all their blessing and they kept it to themselves when they were supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. Amen? Are you with me? They were supposed to be a light unto the world. And what did they do? They received all their blessings, all their uh, specialness, if you will, and kept it unto themselves. Jesus says that whoever 
believes in him, just as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. You need to be like a river, not a reservoir. Jesus uh, mentions uh, this is quoted in scripture, I believe, again, it's out of Psalm 78 or Zechariah 14. But John the Apostle clarifies exactly what it means. Let's look at verse 39. Looking at verse 39, it says this. It says, now this he said, this is John talking, uh, this he said about, help me out, the, the Spirit. So he's talking about the Spirit of God. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had, was not yet glorified. John is a theologian. He is a powerful, smart, smart individual. He's got a great heart for people. He's got a great love for God. He was the nearest and dearest uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And he says this well. What does this mean? What's going on here? John's explaining that God's promise was to pour out his spirit during the church age. That after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus uh, would pour out in tandem with the Father, they would commission the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son, commission the Holy Spirit to permanently indwell the life of the believer. Jesus had foretold about this in John chapter 14 and 16. Uh, he said that the helper would come and he would not come unless Jesus left. And then he went on to say, it's better that I leave. In other words, you're going to experience the power and the presence of God um, in Jesus' absence which is crazy sounding. After Jesus would ascend and go into heaven, the Holy Spirit was promised to come on the church and the church would be born. And then God's Spirit was said to be pouring out like a river of life. And this has happened all throughout our nation's history. If you look back at all the wars, Civil War, World War I, World War II, there was revivals that broke out right up to those wars. I think God was pouring out his spirit so that a great number of guilty sinners would place their faith in him and there'd be a massive harvest. The spirit of God pours out like a river, the Bible says, and then it says that the spirit had not yet been given. What does this mean? Because you know and I know, those of you who've read the Old Testament, you're like, no, 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 time out. The Spirit of God was working in the Old Testament, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was. But the Spirit of God was not permanently indwelling in the life of the believer. You remember David, the psalmist, when he had committed adultery. And then he cries out in Psalms 51, he says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from what? Me. Let's try that again. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. D David... Can, would experience the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in a fresh and powerful way, and then it would be gone. And this was the way that the life worked as a believer uh, up until the point that Jesus promised that at Pentecost, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit would pour out and there would be rivers of life flowing out of everyone who believed in Jesus Christ. John says that's the Spirit of God he's talking about. That's the Spirit of God. So there is this permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. You need to know uh, God in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. It doesn't matter where you go in life. It doesn't matter what you did last night, last week, or last year. The Holy Spirit's not leaving you. He's with you all the time. He's your best friend. Closer than your spouse, closer than your friend. 
Uh, he's the one who permanently indwells you and there's, he's got work to do in your life. He works on you when you don't work on yourself. This is the idea that I think that the Reformed Church has done pretty well with, or Covenantal churches, or uh, Presbyterian churches. They, they tend to focus so much energy on the reality that the Holy Spirit helps sanctify or make holy the believer. That me, what, what that means is even when you don't try to be a good Christian, you're still Christian. Even when you don't try to have patience, the Holy Spirit's at work in you to help you be patient. Isn't that good? that even when you don't feel like trying, the Holy Spirit never stops trying. He's always at work in you. This is the idea that God's sovereign grace is over your life and he's constantly supplying. The scripture says God's mercy is new every single day. And where sin increases, help me out, grace abounds. Who's applying that grace? The Holy Spirit is. He's helping you see it, feel it, experience it. The other side is that you like, kind of live your life and you kind of, you just try to do it all yourself. And this is where your Arminian churches do these kinds of things, uh, some of the Methodists and some of the other churches that focus so much on good works, where your Christian life is all about you doing things. So if you don't have a Bible time or you don't make it to church or you didn't do this, you start feeling guilty because it was kind of all on you. I got good news. You got to work at your faith to grow? Yes. But you need to know somebody's never given up on you, and he never will. You're safe. He's not going to leave you if you don't perform. He's always with you. It's a permanent indwelling. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you uh, three keys to understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. There's more. First, I'd like to help define what I mean by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Let's look at this. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially the church. That statement was written by a gentleman by the name of uh, Wayne Grudem. Uh, this man has played a powerful role in my life in helping me understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I owe him so much. I studied him when I first became a Christian. There's a book called Systematic Theology. If you're serious about your faith and want to grow and your understanding of biblical truth, pick up his systematic theology. If I was, uh, had to survive on an island, I would have the Bible, number one, and systematic theology, number two. Those would be my favorite two books in the world. Um, he writes this about the Holy Spirit. I learned a lot about studying the Holy Spirit. Uh, one day when I got out here to Phoenix, I visited Scottsdale Bible Church. I was invited to share about the new church plant that we were starting, uh, North Valley. Pastor Jamie had me up in six different services. I'm sharing about our church. And I said a quiet little prayer when I walked off the stage because Pastor Jamie was preaching, preaching on prayer. And I said a little prayer like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I heard that Dr. Wayne Grudem attends this church. This church is filled with thousands and thousands of people. Would you be so kind to encourage me today so that I could meet him? I have to stay in the sanctuary, but it'd be really cool if I could meet him. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to make fun of me for that prayer. You know, a silly prayer or something like that. So anyway, I'm sitting there after the sixth service and uh, a gentleman walks through the door and he said, are you are you Pastor Ryan? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he goes, my name is Dr. Wayne Grudem. 
And now he goes, I was in a class, the teaching, across the campus. Somebody told me there was a young man on stage sharing about the new church plant. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me I needed to come meet with you. And I, I literally was like, well, hallelujah, man. I was like, I prayed a prayer. He said, isn't God good? I said, God is good. Here's what I want to show you. Sometimes when you're at church, you feel maybe God's presence just a little bit more. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ loves his church. He died for his church. You don't have to die for the church. Jesus did. And he gives you the Holy Spirit, and he wants you to feel him, to know him. I think sometimes we think to, about the Holy Spirit that if we go into the arena of knowing God through the Holy Spirit, it's like we've somehow dabbled in subjective spirituality. And I would tell you this, there's a lot of subjectiveness to the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on. You're like literally trying to say things sometimes, I sense the Holy Spirit's leading me to this. Or you say stuff, my charismatic friends say, God gave me a word this morning. As soon as I hear that, I'm like, really? What, it, what was the word he gave to you? Did he speak to you audibly? Other friends of mine will say, God impressed it upon my heart. What are they all saying? They're saying that the Holy Spirit's trying to help them to understand something, to do something. I think Christians have a, something that non-Christians do not have. It's like they have a sixth sense. You know, the senses are that we see in the real world are sight, sound, touch, taste, smell. What do Christians have? Spirit. They have the Spirit of God, ladies and gentlemen. With the Spirit of God, you can discern things that are not there. You can see things that are unseen. You have an intuition that's given to you from your creator on high. He gives that to you because he's trying to help you in your journey. The first thing you need to see about the Holy Spirit is this, is that he's there to empower you. He's there to empower you for ministry. He's there to empower you in your workplace. He's there to empower you to be a witness of Jesus Christ. He's there so that you can be a blessing to people. When you are blessed by God financially, blessed with a special gift, blessed with a special talent, the Holy Spirit's like this. Hey, don't be a reservoir. Be a river. Bless other people. Every blessing that you get, you're supposed to bless somebody else. The Holy Spirit's there all the time to empower you for what? For ministry? For missions? This is why martyrs die uh, proclaiming their love for Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God. This is why we see volunteers that never stop serving. They love to serve because they're empowered by the Spirit of God. This is how Pastor Joshua gets up and leads week after week after week, leading people. This is why guest services is here. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry and for missions. We go down to Mexico. We build houses. We go to the Navajo Nation. It's hot. It's hard. What's going on? There's a sense of unity, a sense of fellowship, a sense of joy, a, a sense of God's spirit at work, right in the midst of some hard situations. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, these, says this, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Sometimes the spirit of God empowers some people more than other people. When God gives, he never gives evenly. It's not like it's, it, he just gives as he wants. 
Some people receive more, in a sense, of special gifts or blessings or whatever you want to call it. But he does it for a purpose and a plan, to empower you uh, to live the journey. The Christian life is not a destination, it is a journey. And the more you're in tune with this and appreciate his empowering, you can call out on him and say, give me the strength today. I don't have a good attitude. I don't have the right mindset. My heart is not in the right place, but your power is bigger than my power. And I want God's power, not man's power. So here's what it's like in the Christian life sometimes. Some of you guys are like in rowboats. You're working real hard to get to your journey. You're traveling through your journey and you're exhausted because you're trying to be a perfect person. You're trying to be a moral person, trying to be an ethical person. And I think what God says to you today is to get out of the rowboat. You don't need that. That's man's power. He's got a speedboat for you. Just get in that thing for a little while. You don't have to row. You don't have to do anything. What is he gonna do? Wow. We were at Lake Day the other day, and there was a, a show-off guy. He had a sweet boat, though. That sucker was so loud. The beach was packed out with literally hundreds of people, and that guy gets in his speedboat, and he's just romping it. Wah, wah. Like, I think he really wants everybody to see it, you know, and that's cool. Just really loud. Probably a Chevy 350 engine in that sucker, V8, and it was cranking, you know. You could hear it, and all of a sudden, whoa. I think that is the Christian life. And what we think is that it's, no, it's like the, it's like the kayak, the sit-on-top kayak. It's like the, the rowboat. I've got to do this. My kids, they got out that day on lake day, and they got in my uh, sit-on-top kayak, and they went across the lake, and the wind came up. And they came back like two hours later. I'm like, where have you been? They're like, Dad, we're exhausted. We tried to get across the lake. Did nobody come for us? I was like, I didn't know where you were. That can be the Christian life where you think you've got to do it. I want to tell you, you need, ladies and gentlemen, help me out. You need God's power. You don't need man's power. You need supernatural power. You don't need natural power from yourself. You need a divine power, not a self-will power that you read in books. What you need is a divine, supernatural power in your life. And the Bible tells us that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what he wants to do with you. What are you facing? Financial hardship? Medical uncertainty? Relational dysfunction? Something's going bad? Some major setback? What do you do? You call on power from on high. You ask him for help in your journey. Because he's more committed to you than you're committed to yourself. So don't ever forget that. Number one, the Holy Spirit empowers us. Number two, the Holy Spirit guides us. When I go on a road trip, I like to drive. I like to get there. But in order to drive, I usually try to read the map. If I don't read the map, at least I got a good GPS system. But do you know what's better than driving? Letting somebody else drive. And then taking a nap. And say, Let, wake me up when we get there. You know why? because I can just relax. Did you know that the Holy Spirit's kind of like that? He just says, look, you can do this one or two ways. You can run the journey of your life and let me drive, because I know the way to go, or you study the map and you try to do it all by yourself. 
And so this is a question we have to ask us. This is far more faith-oriented than it is like uh, trying to do it all yourself. This is what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to figure out how to lead a life where you're not leading, that God is leading. He's at the wheel. You're not. So here's what says in Romans about how every Christian should live. Apostle Paul wrote, Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What does that mean? It means like a little kid comes to his dad, dad, I don't know where I should go to college. I, I don't know if I really have what it takes, dad. I, I don't know exactly how to do this or face this challenge, dad. What do I do? You follow dad's leading. What does the Holy Spirit invite you to do? Follow his leading. How do you hear the Holy Spirit's voice? I think you stay in God's word. I think you have an open heart to hear whatever he has to say. And some of you go, will he speak to me audibly? I don't think so. He could. But I think what he'll most likely do is give you the promptings of your heart. He'll put on your mind, sometimes in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning even, I'll wake up, and the question I had, the answer is so clear now. And it's like a whisper of the, the Holy Spirit, I think. Not an audible voice, but that's what happens. Sometimes you're in a room, and you're like, something's not right. I don't feel good about this. What is that? Was it the chalupa you ate last night? No, it's probably the Holy Spirit. And so you have to realize that the part of the whole Spirit of God thing, it could be Lord, what kind of decision should I make about my business? What kind of steps should I make for my child? What kind of financial commitment should I make to this? How do I navigate through this problem, this challenge, this addiction? The Holy Spirit's there. And do you know what the Holy Spirit likes to do? He likes to work through people too. You need God's people in your life and you need God's spirit in your life. You need God's word in your life. But the Holy Spirit's there to lead you, ladies and gentlemen, were to be led like children by God. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps us grow. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow. This is what I was talking about earlier within more of the Reformed tradition. It's uh, the idea that there is a, a, a level of growing in holiness that God is committed to you, uh, the theological category is called sanctification, that the process of growing in holiness, I would argue that the Holy Spirit's actually more committed to you than you're committed to your own spiritual growth. I think that if you are a Christian, the Bible teaches that you just will grow. Uh, you will have life. Some Christians have a lot more growth in their life than others, but if you are Christian, it's impossible not to grow. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. God's taken up residence in your life. So this being, brings tremendous hope. You know, for those that have not followed Jesus Christ, I think of the thief on the cross and how at the last moment of his life, he lived a terrible life. He was a criminal. Jesus is right next to him. And at the last moment, he confesses faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, today, my friend, I'll see you in paradise. Yeah. What was his, what was his growth? <laughs> faith. What's the biggest vice that we face? Unbelief. He believed. 
He believed Jesus. The Holy Spirit does good work in our lives. Galatians 5.22 through 25, or 5.22 and 25. The Apostle Paul says, here's what happens when the Spirit of God's at work. The fruit of the Spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when God's at work in your life, these are the things that happen. Uh, as Christians, the more you kind of like live with God and kind of live, seek to live by His Spirit, when the pressures of life pressure you, what comes out is not hatred but love. What comes out is not sadness, but it's joy. What comes out is peace, not anxiety. So Paul wants to try to make it clear, though, that there is something you can do. What is that? Verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, look what he says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the Spirit of God has an adventure. The Spirit of God is trying to help you to journey through life, to show you his presence and the power. He wants to work in you and through you, but you need to keep in step. If you've ever been hiking before, you ever had a guide, you gotta keep up. You gotta keep up. Sometimes the Spirit of God will go a lot faster than you want, but the good news is, is the Bible talks about walking by the Spirit, so it's not so fast that you couldn't do it. But the Scripture tell us, tells us, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the third person of the Trinity, you, Holy Spirit. You are God. You are not an impersonal, impersonal life force. Uh, you are not an it. You are God. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the clarity of teaching, the truthfulness of Scripture, and might we seek to live more with your work going on in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, in uh, just a minute, uh, we're going to continue to worship, but one of the ways that we worship at the church is through giving. Uh, those of you that give financially to the church, that's an act of worship. When you give, it's, you're giving unto the Lord and His church, so thank you for doing that. Um, and to know this, that Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I think uh, I've illustrated that too, that you need to know that as a Christian, the Spirit of God, like a river of life, comes to you. And he blesses you with all sorts of things in your life. And what that means is, is he wants you to be a river, not a reservoir. You don't just hold on to all your blessings. Some of you have been blessed with incredible talent. Use it for the glory of God. Some of you have been blessed to build businesses. Use that for the glory of God. Some of you have skills and education and uh, use it all for the glory of God. Whatever talent you have, use it for the glory of God. God wants to work in you and then through you. Amen? So thanks for giving and being a part. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.